we're starting a new series this morning called Fathered by God. Um, now, if that title sounds familiar, it's because I stole the title from a John Eldridge book. Um, it's, well, I'm not actually teaching the content of that book, but the title just captured where, where we're going to go for the next weeks, maybe a couple months together. And so um, we're going to talk about our relationship with God our Father, who he is, what he's like, how he wants to meet us right where we are. And, and I believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to go off into some, some cool areas along the way. I'm, I'm believing on some level he will speak to us as parents, um, that we could get some equipping to, to parent more like our father parents us. Probably a pretty good teacher to learn from is the perfect father in heaven. And so um, hopefully we'll, we'll get equipped in that way a bit. But... Um, I just know God's not through fathering us yet. I'm not going to take a poll and, and do the, like, who's the oldest person in the room thing this morning. But, like, if you're the oldest person in the room, God is still fathering you. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. He's shepherding our hearts. And so, so my hope is that we could really recognize him as our ever-present father and learn to be aware of his presence. Um, I wasn't going to go down this road, but, you know, we talk about how, how God is omnipresent. You guys know what that means? He's, he's everywhere at once. And it's this really cool, true, biblical principle that God is everywhere at once. But there's also this thing that we see in Scripture about God's manifest presence, which is just a really fancy way of saying, like, he's right here right now, and I know it. I recognize it. I recognize his tangible presence in my life. I'm conscious of the fact that he's with me right here, right now. And I believe with all my heart that, that one of Jesus' greatest desires for us is that we could know the Father that he knows. He loved the Father, and he was loved by the Father. And I believe one of his deepest desires is that we could experience more and more of that connection. And I know there's obstacles to that. And we're going to tackle through some of those as we, we dive into the series. So let me pray. And then this is going to be kind of introductory this morning. It's going to lay the groundwork of some territory we're going to cover as we go along the way. Um, but we'll, we'll jump into this for 20 or 30 minutes together. So Heavenly Father... Thank you, God, that you tell us we can approach you that way. We can call you our Father. And so, Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the way that he paved for us to be reconciled to you, to be brought into your family, to be your adopted sons and daughters. God, we thank you that your mark is already on us. You made us in your image you love us. You're for us. Heavenly Father, Abba, Daddy. God, my prayer in my own life, my prayer in the life of my friends, is that we would find ourselves knowing you better. My hope is not that we, we leave this subject in a couple of months feeling like we know a whole bunch of stuff about you but God, that we would know you. Lord, I, I want to pray in advance, God, if, there's, if there are wounded places in our lives 
from fathering that we've experienced or a lack thereof, God, would you heal it? God, would we have the courage to be open to letting you heal it? Lord, if we've experienced our own disappointment, hurt, frustration, anger with you, Lord, if we feel like you have let us down as our Father, whether we felt like you're cold and distant or you're, you're judgmental or you just you don't care, you don't notice us, that you're unhappy with us, that we're not worthy of your love, God, whatever damage might be done there, Lord, I pray that you would restore in our hearts and minds the truth of your character, of who you are, that you're for us and you're with us and you love us. Jesus, we need your help in this. Holy Spirit, I'm thankful that one of your primary roles in our hearts is to teach us to say, Daddy, you place inside of us that ability to dare to believe that we're the beloved sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. So Holy Spirit, will you guide us into this? God, we're believing and trusting you along the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, one of my favorite, favorite movies kind of in my, in my teenage years um, were the series of the Indiana Jones movies. We got anybody that's familiar with those in the room? Okay, a little old school there. Um, and one of my favorite ones is, is The Last Crusade, where Sean Connery shows up as his dad. Anybody familiar with that one? And uh, boy, they have an interesting dynamic, don't they? Um, but one of the scenes that always stuck with me is, I think they were actually like on a blimp or something at this point in the movie, but they're sitting down at a table together, and Indiana Jones is finally just declaring his utter frustration and exasperation with his dad. I mean, he's just letting him know, dad, like you were absent. You were busy chasing your career and obsessed with this thing that you were after and you just weren't around. I couldn't talk to you. I I had all these things going on in my life and I needed a dad to talk to and you weren't there. And so, you know, his dad just kind of looks at him and goes, okay, well, he puts down the menu and crosses arms. He goes, well, what do you want to talk about? And just stares at him, and he's like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, then what are you complaining about? And then they just move on. (laughs) And it's like, it's this funny classic scene or whatever, but the truth is, like, that's brutal. Like, like we crave, we we need fathering, we need mothering. I'm titling this Fathered by God because it's how he presents himself in Scripture as the Father. I I trust that, that you know and hear my heart that I believe God mothers and fathers us. There are verses that talk about him in that way. So this could just be called parented by God. Um, but we, we need parented. We don't always want it. We don't always like the particular parenting we're getting. Sometimes it's broken parenting. Sometimes it's great parenting. And we just think it's broken parenting because we don't like the no's that show up every now and then in our life. But but the truth is, we, we have a deep inherent need for, for, for a parent, for a mom, for a dad who are there, who love us, who are for us, who are with us. And that's what, he, that's what Indiana Jones was trying to express in that moment. But this is a real issue. The, of all the things that God could have said 
to wrap up his story as the Old Testament was being completed. You know, this, in, this, this entire chunk, this entire passage of, of all of history, of poetry, of, of prophecies, all this stuff. I mean, it's just jam-packed full of, of the struggles and the hard circumstances and the ups and downs of his people and, and God showing up and being thrilled at times and working miraculously at times and being frustrated at times and of the whole story as he finishes that book and, and it's now kind of closed and sitting in anticipation of the coming Savior. This Old Testament that was ultimately all about pointing to Jesus and our need for him. At the conclusion of that book, the last thing we see are these verses in Malachi chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. God's saying there is such a desperate need of, of a reconciliation between parents and their children that he is especially going to send a prophet that's going to prepare the way for this to happen. Now, he also is saying, by the way, that if there isn't a healthy reconciliation between parents and children, if that isn't there, what comes? Destruction. What does it affect? The whole land. This has been proved throughout history. We currently, in our day and age, in our culture, I want to give you some, some statistics here. You can look this up at the National Fatherhood Initiative, um, but these statistics actually come from the U.S. Census Bureau. So these are, these are accurate from 2017, so a couple summers old. If you have an absentee father, there's a father absent from the home, there's a four-time greater risk of poverty in that home. Your teens are seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teenager. Seven times. They're more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect. The infant mortality rate is two times greater. Kids are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They're more likely to go to prison. They're more likely to commit a crime they're two times more likely to drop out of high school. The number of kids that fit this category in 2017 was 19.7 million children in the United States of America. In case you're wondering about the math on that, that's one in four. We have an epic epidemic of a lack of, of fathering. Now, I, I don't say this to scare us. I'm just saying there's a need. There's a desperate need. Josiah's house in the Dominican Republic, the, the orphanage down there, the boys' home down there that, that we help support, that thing was launched because of the devastation that's happening down there on, on a more extreme level than we've got. And it's, it's so 
radical just to take kids off the street, if you do nothing else, just to take them off the street and just to put them in a home with a mom and dad and get them to school every day. Just that act alone. Here's a mom, here's a dad. You're gonna live with them until you're 18 and you're gonna go to school every single day. How much that act changes their whole history. See, this, this parenting issue, it's specific to us. Like, I, I believe and you maybe are even aware of specific hurts, struggles, wounds in your own life. Maybe some that are, that are healed, thank God. Maybe some you're still walking through. But this, this spreads. Like be, because of God's initial design, when things are good, guess what is spread? Goodness, health, life. But when stuff's bad, that's what spreads and populates. Without the grace of God and his intervention in our lives, we repeat the things that have happened to us. We actually do unto others as has been done unto us. Unfortunately, often with devastating consequences. And so there is a, there is a huge need for fathering. Now, the, the beautiful thing about our God is that he says, hey, I'm up for the job. I'm here. I love you. I will father you. I will be with you and for you. I'm here for that. And so what we see as, as we move kind of into, into history a little bit here, you know, there's this declaration of how big of a deal it will be if fathers and children can be reconciled to each other and how devastating it'll be if they're not. And now we fast forward 400 years and we see this prophecy being fulfilled in John the Baptist. And so in Luke chapter 1 verse 16, as the angels showed up and said, you're going to have a son and here's what he's going to be about, a couple of the things that describe him are found in verses 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. See the first step? He'll turn them to the Lord their God. And he... And he will go before him, so John the Baptist is going before the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. See, the angel is saying, this is that. <laughs> that prophecy, that thing you've been reading for 400 years, it's about to happen right now. John the Baptist is ushering this in. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. See, can I, can I tell you something about fathering, about mothering? You know what we really are if there's parents here in the room? We're stewards. We're stewards. Our ultimate job as parents is to successfully make that handoff. I was talking about discipleship last Sunday and joking around about how we don't need a bunch of jakes. Like, like, it's not about making disciples of Jake Spencer. It's making disciples of Jesus. And, and my job at all is just to help make that handoff. Like, here, follow him, know him, walk with him. Well, the ultimate example of that is in our parenting, we're making disciples of Jesus. And we're helping to hand them off successfully to their heavenly father the good, perfect, loving Father who will never leave them and never forsake them. That's the handoff that's happening. 
And so this is what John the Baptist came to declare, and he was preparing the way for the Messiah, and then Jesus was all about this. I mentioned this number in our prayer series because there was, there was one chunk of that where we talked about the Lord's prayer and how we approach him as father. And I mentioned this, and I want to say it again here. Jesus did something radical in his life and ministry when he began referring to God as his father, and not only his own personal father, but encouraging other people to think about him that way. Throughout the Old Testament, about 15 times, either directly or indirectly, God is referenced as a father. Rarely as our personal father. Kind of more of a big picture view. Jesus, in the Gospels alone, referenced him as father 165 times. I think maybe he wanted us to know a little something about his father. So here's some things he had to say about his father. I'm just, I'm just grabbing these from one little passage here. John chapter 14, you could read the whole thing more on your own. Just grabbing from a few verses there. Verses 6 and 7, verse 18, verse 23. I want you to catch some things that Jesus had to say about his father. Um, for context, this is like his last big conversation with the disciples before he goes to the cross. He's pouring a lot of information out to them. He also spends some time praying over them. And one of the main things he is trying to communicate to them is this, this connection that Jesus has with his father and that they are invited into. You're meant to be one with my father just as I am one with my father. And so here's some things he had to say. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus gave us a way to the Father. Now, I realize and believe that this is one of those times where Jesus is making an exclusive statement about himself as the unique Son of God. I believe it's that. But, but it wasn't meant to be restrictive. He's not, he's not making this like, well, there's only one way, and good luck if you'll ever find it. He's saying the way is here. I've made a way where there seems to be no way. I am here to help you connect back to this father that you were always intended to be in relationship with. And so I've made the way for that. Come to me and I'll, I'll point you to him. I'll get you there. Verse 7. In fact, if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus said, guys, the way I've been living in front of you, that's the Father's heart. That's the Father's love. That's the kind of stuff that he does. And so we can look to Jesus and learn about the Father. He told us about God's heart towards us. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He, he doesn't just say, you have an opportunity to join my family. He says, I'm going to pursue you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming after you. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm inviting you in. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He says, listen, I've got all this stuff I've been sharing with you about this life that's available. Man, if, if you love me, if you treasure this stuff I've been sharing, you'll hold on to it. 
You'll keep it. That word keep, there's a lot in it. It, it means keep in the sense of like, I'm going to live it out. But, but it also, there's this sense of like holding it dear, bringing it close, treasuring it. If you keep my word, you're going to experience the love of the Father. This relationship I'm pointing you to, I'm inviting you to, that I've modeled, that you've seen that I have with him, and the things I've talked about him, you can have that. In fact, his love can get so real in your life that it's like he's living right there in your home. I mean, I just wonder how incredible it would be if our homes more and more became a place where we just felt like we knew God's presence was there. Like, I just, I feel his fathering presence. I'll tell you what, as a dad, it'd be awesome to be feeling way more consistently like he was right there with me. Oh, I don't have to be the only dad in the house. <laughs> the dad is in this house. And I can kind of hold his hand and say, all right, all right, dad, help me be a little bit more like you today. What would you do in this situation? My, um, I mean, I always want to be careful how much I share stories from my kids' lives and stuff to protect them or whatever, but um, one of my kids was just doing something that they shouldn't do, and it's a consistent thing, and it's just this pattern that we're just trying to break. And so, I, you know, I just had one of those moments this week where it was like, I'm responding out of frustration, not out of helping my child learn something. That familiar to anybody? Um, and so, I mean, my instinct was just like, I'm furious. And so send the kid back to my room and like, I'm kind of doing the thing where I'm like, man, I need to calm down a little bit and like chill out for a second. And so I just kind of distract myself with something, which I always hated when I was a kid, by the way, because then you're just like sweating bullets. Like, how bad is this going to be? Um, it's always funny sharing those moments. When my parents are sitting in the second row, but hey, that's how I felt. And so I walked in there and I just thank. Thank God in that moment, at least, I felt like he got my attention. He was like, you just need to sit down and talk a little bit. And he just calmed me down, slowed me down. And we just talked. And it was more conversational. And it was more, it was like a teachable moment. And it was, it was me even communicating, like, I see this in you. And I know you can do this. And I, I believe you can. And I'm for you. Like, come on, let's go. And I was grateful in that moment that I was aware that he was kind of coaching me slash keeping me from really blowing it right then. Um, I could tell way more stories of not listening in that moment. But I was grateful for that. Jesus says, listen, my, my father wants to make his home with you. And he, he wants you to experience his love. And so if you'll hold on to the things I have to share about who he is and what he's like, and, and you grab hold of that in your life, this can become very real in your heart and in your home. And so that's, that's my prayer for us. So Here's where we're going to go for just a couple of minutes to, to set the tone. And I, I just want to kind of drop some like little seeds here. And each of these themes we're going to come back to over the course of this series. And so, so this morning, I want, to, I want to glimpse some things that we see in Genesis right at the start of things about the heart of our Father that I hope we can grab hold of. And then we're going to unpack them more in depth as we go forward. So Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. So we have the whole epic story in chapter 1 of like the unfolding of all of creation. And now God's, God's kind of giving us a little bit more of a personal explanation about how he made us. 
I want you to see some of this stuff as we go here. Beginning in verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Think about the detail of that. Do we have any artists in the room that paint or draw or sculpt? It's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed. All right. I, I saw two of you do like that. There are some artists in the room. Um, man, when you're, when you're like pouring into your art, like you're pouring your heart into that and you're giving it care and time and attention, like I, I find it interesting and it, it didn't make it impersonal necessarily, but like when God was creating in chapter one, we see him just speak and stuff happens, right? Like he has that kind of power. But that's not what he did with us. He slowed down. He formed us. He used his hands to form us. Not only did he use his hands to form us, he made us like him. He he made us in his image. Sometimes I look in the mirror and go, really, God? But he did. He made us in his image. He put his mark on us. He, he got his hands dirty, literally. He was involved in the creative process. And then he breathed his very breath into us. Now, if you just think, well, Jake, that's what he did with Adam. And, I mean, that was really cool for Adam. But, like, he didn't do that for us. Psalms 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. He has taken the same personal touch and care with every one of us that he took with Adam. He formed you, he knit you, he knew you. He put his image on you. He made you unique, which was a part of his beautiful expression, but he put his image on you. He loves us. He forms us. He breathes life into us. Verse 8. Not only is there this, this personalness to how he does this, but verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Again, there, there's a little more intimacy, a little more activity. God planted a garden in Eden. That must have been pretty cool to watch. In the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. God's original design and intent was to place us in a garden. There's some really cool imagery there that we're going to get into as we go along together. But this, the, the basic concept of a garden is this beautiful blend of something that has some structure and boundaries and safety and yet a lot of room for adventure and exploration. Room to breathe, room to discover. There's still an encounter with nature. It's not... It's not inside a four-walled building. It's outside. There's animals. There's plants. There's stuff to explore. In fact, his garden was huge. If we were to keep reading a little bit further down, he tells us that this garden was surrounded by this huge river that then branched into four different rivers, and they kind of surrounded this whole garden. There was actually a lot of room to go on adventure and explore. And so he created this space that gave us room to play and explore. It was this really cool study that was done. Um, it was by the American Society of Landscape Architects. And they were trying to figure out how to create the ideal playground um, setting for young kids, but specifically in orphanages. And so they were trying to go, how can we create a space 
that will be fun and safe and comfortable and, and will be beneficial to their development. Like their development was a big part of this study. And so they did this really simple study. And what they did was they, they had the same teachers with the same kids go to two different types of playgrounds. And so they had the teachers and the kids. And they said, just go and just let them play, do whatever they're going to do. And they went to a park with a playground that had no fence or boundary or anything. And so the teacher just, you know, sat on the park bench or whatever and watched them and the kids played. And then they did the exact same thing, but they took them to a playground that had a very defined, fenced-in area. And unequivocally, across the board, the kids that were allowed to play, it was the same kids, when the kids went to the park that had the defined fence, they played over the entire area they explored to the far reaches, all the way to the boundary edges. The ones who, the, when they went to the park that didn't have the boundary, they all stayed huddled in really close to the teacher and right in by just the playground equipment. And they were just like, boundaries actually created freedom. That's our father. Okay, so when we start getting into some of these ways that he creates boundaries for us, or calls us to be parents who make boundaries for our kids, just know it actually is creating space for freedom. All right? Verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God uh, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Let's stop there for a second. He provides for us, for our needs, but he provides for our enjoyment. He didn't make it boring and bland. He's, he literally thought, what would excite you? What would you look at and go, that is really cool looking right there. That's an awesome looking tree. Look at that stream flowing through. Look at that rock face. I'm going to try to climb that thing. Look at that waterfall. I wonder if I could jump off of there. Like he, he created stuff that would bring wonder and enjoyment. He, he isn't just a God who provides for our needs, although he is a God who provides for our needs. But he provides for our deepest needs. Longings and desires that we have to like recognize beauty, to explore nature in his creation. It was a gift from him. And so he provided for both our needs and our enjoyment. It's a good dad. And then finally, the second half of that verse, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave us some structure. He gave us life and he gave us some structure. What's interesting about this is it's not just that he created boundaries uh, by placing us in a garden. When he gave us as a gift, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he gave us the ability to choose. He gave us the ability to choose. Let's continue on a little bit. Um, let's go down to verse 15 now. So he sets all this up, and in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He says, buddy, it's yours. Enjoy, take care of it, go for it. He gave him some purpose. He gave him some adventure. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. He gave a clear rule, and he gave a clear consequence that was going to come with that rule. I'll never forget this advice I got as a parent years ago. I think we were maybe even just pregnant with Ashley, our first one. But it was really early in our parenting. And I'll never forget this friend of mine looking at me, and he goes, he goes Here, here's what I can tell you without a doubt. He goes, it doesn't matter where you put the boundary. What matters is that you hold the boundary. He said, you can be a strict parent and have it reined way in, you can be a parent that's very lenient and leave it out. But the point is, you, wherever you set that line, you've got to hold it. It's crucial. The father did that. I, I got to tell you, he was a pretty lenient parent. He had one rule. <laughs> one rule. And, and the only reason he gave that rule is because it gave us choice. He gave us choice. We could choose him. We could choose to trust him. We could choose to say no to that so we could say yes to everything else. His rule was for our benefit. Well, what'd they do? What'd we do? <laughs> they broke the rule. Now, I, I want you to catch this, and we'll wrap up kind of with this, this point here. Um, when they broke the rule, I'm not going to get into the whole story of how they broke it, I trust it's fairly familiar to you guys. The serpent comes along and all that. But they, they break the rule and they immediately realize, oh, something has changed. Their eyes, first of all, are open. They feel ashamed because they recognize like they're naked. But it was more than that. Like we're, we're exposed. We've done something wrong. And they were conscious of it. And so in Genesis chapter 3 now, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they tried to cover up for themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Two things we can notice here. Number one, God was consistently present. This, this appears to be a normal part of their day. He would show up in the cool of the day and spend time with them. He was consistently present. Second cool thing, is God aware that they've messed up? Yeah. He still shows up anyway. Pursuing them. Hey, where are you guys at? Come on. Come on out. It's all right. He goes looking for them. He's consistent. Even in their failings, he shows up. And then ultimately... Last verse here, Genesis 3, 21, as God is handling the fallout and describing, hey guys, you did break the rule and there are direct consequences that I warned you about, but watch what he does. Genesis 3, 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Their father covered their sin. He took care of it. He didn't shame them. He didn't embarrass them. Not, not only did he cover their mistake himself, 
but he already was letting them know what it would really take to cover for our sin. Because they just tried to do it with some leaves, and he said, no, this, this costs more than that. Sin is more destructive than we often care to admit, especially in our highly intellectual, highly sophisticated, really mature cultural society that we live in. There's less and less things on that list of sins. But the reality is sin is real and its consequences are devastating. And God said, no, it actually takes life. And so I'm gonna have to make a sacrifice. The first sacrifice was made by God in that garden. I'm gonna have to make a sacrifice to cover this. I'm gonna have to make the ultimate sacrifice to cover this. He loves us, he's for us, he's with us, and he's got us covered. That's our father. It's a little taste of what he's like. My prayer is as we move forward in this as a church, um, that this would just, he would get really familiar to us. We'd maybe even find ways where we haven't recognized him working in some of these ways in our life and we could see it more clearly. My hope is that we can partner with him more, that his life so gets into us that, that we're like this for other people, that we become more and more like our Father in heaven in all of our relationships, and if we're parents, in our parenting relationships. All right? Y'all up for that? I'm excited. I, uh, I feel really unqualified to teach a parenting series. That may sound funny to y'all. I got six kids and stuff, but like, I'm just aware that I have a long way to go. Maybe by the time our sixth one is graduating, we'll start to figure some stuff out. <laughs> um, so I, I really, I feel like I'm on this adventure with you guys. Let's, let's learn together what our father is like and how we can become more like him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your unfailing love and presence in our lives. God, I thank you even just for the taste this morning of your goodness and your heart towards us. God, I thank you for your only begotten son who got, who got this, who understood your goodness fully. He loved you. He looked for times to get away and be with you. He enjoyed talking about your goodness and the life that that is in you regularly. Jesus, would you help us to grab a hold of what you had to say about your Father, that we would treasure it and hold it dear, and we'd live by it. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would know you as a good Father. God, even now, we, just, we, ad we admit that we fall short as parents. God, we admit, even those of us who had the best parents, we recognize their shortcomings. God, we, we need help and we need healing and we need wholeness. And Father, we thank you that you're up for the challenge. I pray we would hear your voice in the garden calling out to us. And that we'd say, Dad, I'm right here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.